Thank you for listening to this podcast by Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by a special guest speaker. So last week, it was really great to be at our son's wedding. We had a wonderful time. Everything went pretty well. She said yes, which is always every dad's concern. I warned her for years, but she said she loved him. I didn't know what else to do, but no, it was great. We had a great time at our son's wedding, and uh, that evening, we met up with some friends who uh, from out of town, uh, and one of our friends, uh, Marty and Becca, and they live in Florida, one of our former students and his family, and we we went out to eat, and we were at the Quaker Steak and Lube, Chicken Wing Emporium, if you're familiar, we met them at one of those, and there are TV screens everywhere, and I try not to get distracted by those screens, but there was one right behind me, and it had Chive TV on it. Anybody know what the Chive is or Chive TV? Well, they were showing lots of videos. If you're on YouTube, and I know you all are, okay, if you're on YouTube, they have this thing called Fail Army. Have you guys ever seen this? It's all the horror, and I hear laughter, okay, good. Well, these are all the horrible things that happen in people's lives, and they're kind of the 21st century version of America's Funniest Home Videos. And uh, what they do is they take our socially connected lives where we use our phones and whatever, and we record and capture humiliating events in the lives of strangers and loved ones. And then we edit them with a high degree of sarcasm. And what I mean by uh, humiliating sarcasm and the way we use that is this is what happens. Your loved ones catch a video of you where something embarrassing happens and they take the time to carefully edit the video and to add special effects and even slow motion just to capture the carnage of whatever has occurred perfectly in high definition so the rest of the world can enjoy it. So we've gone pretty much as people from let's never speak of this again to I can't wait to put this up on the World Wide Web and tag you in it. If you don't know what tagging is, ask a child or grandchild how that works. And basically, so wherever you go for the rest of your life, someone will say, I recognize you. You're the one who ran into that door. Or I know who you are. You're the person that fell down in that hole or whatever it is. But it's kind of crazy how this goes. Uh, It really is. It's something that I don't know how else to capture it, but to maybe show you a video clip. So take a look up here on the screen. It, It goes by pretty quick, but I spent some time this week. Just check out uh, how this works. All right, I got one thing to say to you about this, really. Do not text and drive. If you didn't catch what was going on, this woman was walking along and texting, and she didn't see that one of those in-ground elevators that they use under you know, the street in large cities had come up with those metal doors that pop up. I always remember it from the way that MacGyver and Jack Dalton would come out in his motorcycle with the sidecar. I'm the only one apparently. Okay, anyhow, well, this is how my brain works, people. I'm sorry, but, you know, so that had come up, and, you know, she didn't see that, and it's kind of painful to watch. You know, actually, let's watch that again. And she's texting, and she's falling. Now, that poor woman, first of all, my thought was, I hope she's okay, she went head, she took a header, she took a head first dive down that hole. But this really does fit in with what we're talking about today because in our lives, if we're honest, if we talk about it among ourselves, we know that we all fall down relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and sometimes even physically, often physically. Every time I'm in a restaurant or a shopping center, a mall, whatever, there's always a sign that says wet floor. And what's the little stick guy doing on that? He's not doing parkour or anything like that. It's not American Ninja Warrior. He's falling down. His legs are flying out, right? We don't want to be that person. We don't want 
to fall down, but yet it's part of our human experience. And we're going to talk about today about the tripping and the falling that we do as broken human beings. We're going to look at Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 30, through Romans 10, 4. And we're going to read through this, and we're going to talk about this, because sometimes if you've ever fallen, and I was thinking, I just learned at the end of the week here, Tim Wiley from our church, if you know Tim, he fell and hurt his wrist. Didn't tell anybody for like six years because he's a boy. He's like, I'm fine. And finally, he went and found out he had sprained his wrist real bad. Have you ever done that where when you're falling, it's sometimes it's better just to fall, even if it's an old man or old woman fall where you kind of bounce? Because, you know, if you try to break your fall or catch yourself, sometimes you can almost hurt yourself worse. Sometimes that can happen. You can almost get worse when you try to catch yourself or, or brace yourself. And so the question we're going to talk about today that we're going to try to address in God's Word is, are you stumbling in your life from a spiritual perspective, in your faith and in your life? Are you stumbling or are you standing? We're going to look at that today in God's Word. We're going to start in Romans 9, verse 30. So let's take a look at that. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Wow. So as we get back here into the book of Romans, we're going to take a look we're going to go back a little bit in the book of Romans, and we're going to look at some of the core, some of the foundational ideas that drive the book of Romans, the depth of what God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is teaching us today in Romans 9 and 10. Specifically, as we've looked through the book of Romans, there are well-known passages that we know, like Romans 3, 23 and 24, up there on the screen for you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so the important thing that I want us to pick up on as we go in this today is we're reminded that Christianity is more than a, sit, a set of rules. Christianity is not just a set of rules. It is not conditional moral behavior. Christianity, Christ's work on the cross that we're going to celebrate at this table today, is really based upon grace. God's grace. We can't earn it. We can only accept it and receive it. It's something completely different from the way we may think of things being. You see, some people have the idea, and many religions in the world further the idea, the same basic concept that our obedience equals outcome. Obedience equals outcome. And what that means is that our obedience or our behavior determines how God or the cosmos or whomever will treat us, how God would react to us or provide for us or be kind to us based on our own personal morality, our performance, our behavior, how we live our lives. And as Christians, we must understand that 
loving others and sharing and having compassion upon other people, reconciling with others when we're hurt. These are all great things. They're good things, but they're not unique to Christianity. You guys ever know that? Other religions have ideas of being kind to other people. We're not the, we don't have the market cornered on that idea. We don't. But what is unique to Christianity is the necessity of grace as the foundation of the core of our faith. You see, God does not reward us, as we've learned in the book of Romans, based on our behavior or on our morality, and it doesn't take long in the Bible for us to see that. As on our Thursday morning Bible study, we've been looking at the book of Genesis. If you look at Abraham or Jacob or Isaac, they were pretty bad guys. They continually pulled some really shady, some really dysfunctional things, uh, kind of days of our lives level antics. Ask some of the folks from the Fantastic study on Thursday. They'll tell you, the more you read about it, you're like, wow, that's in the Bible? That's awful. But that's what it means. We're sinful human beings, and we know that God saves us by grace. The Bible teaches that from beginning to end, certainly here in the book of Romans. And we cannot, in fact, we don't get it together. Yet in our lives, God is gracious, and he leads us forward, and he guides us, and we do grow in obedience. We do grow in faithfulness. But even when we do it, we're doing it by God's grace. It doesn't happen because of our efforts, because we suddenly figure it all out. And thank God we don't get what we deserve, because uh, later in Romans and throughout God's word, we see we don't deserve any of this. Not a shred of the great grace from God that we receive is something that we earn. So even though today we see our reward is not based on our behavior, and we're glad it's the case as sinful people, we want to make sure that we understand in our world that we do treat others this way. We reward people based on their performance and behavior. Even though God doesn't do that, if we're honest, we do it. We do this, don't we? We tell our kids, you're amazing when they're good, and we say, what were you thinking when they're bad? Get down here and put your clothes on and stop whatever you're doing. We say, come on, people, work with me here a little bit. Okay, so everybody's like, oh, yeah, that was bad. Okay, anyhow, so... If you're not saying that to your kids, you should be, just so you know. Okay, so anyhow, maybe it's not that bad. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this, how this works. So my son, my son, when he was four years old, we heard the door slam at our house, and we hear laughter outside from the neighbor kids and from our son. And as I run to the back door, we just run out, I find all of his clothes laying in a pile. All of his clothes. And as I turn in the picture window in the front of our house, I see my son naked, running around the house. Now, he just got married. I can say this. It's okay. Running around the house, stark naked, like Jesse Owens in a full sprint, going around. Thank the good Lord that boys grow up and that God's grace is real. They begin to shower, to brush their teeth, to bathe, uh, to put on deodorant when they discover girls combing their hair, all these wonderful things. But at, some, at one point, my son was like, he was like a wild man when he was four years old. I didn't know what I was going to do with him. Thank goodness that we don't get treated the way that sometimes we treat kids. What do you think I did to my kid when he did that? You're a bad boy. Why did you do that? We don't. We're not run around the house naked people. We don't do that. Oh, you've done it. You've done it. You know what I'm talking about, right? We don't want to be embarrassed. And when things like that happen, we're embarrassed. And honestly, we're embarrassed about our own lives and when our shortcomings, our sinfulness is laid bare, whether it's in our family or in ourselves, in our words, in our choices, whatever it is. And that's 
what we need to understand. All of us fall short of God's perfect standard. We need God's grace. We need God's grace, and we have to understand that what makes Christianity and Christ unique is we are not treated according to our performance, even though as sinful human beings in other religions in the world and ourselves, we make performance very, very important. That's why Christianity is good news. It's the best news ever. And our lives in Christ are no longer a set of do's and don'ts. It's more about done. It's less about do. It's not about what we have to do. It's about what Christ has done. Jesus has already done it. It's like that old Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day, where he gets to do the same thing over and over until he kind of figures it out. But if we're honest, if we really look at God's word, we don't figure it out. We don't. That's the reality. That's what we face when we come to God's table today. We just don't get it right. And you see, the Christians in the Roman church, particularly those who were Jewish converts, as we've learned in the book of Romans, they knew the Old Testament. They had followed all the rules. They were trying to be really good, and they thought they were just a little bit better than the others. A little better off. A little more righteous. They actually believed, they thought, they deserved a little more of God's grace than everyone else. Perhaps you and I can forget, even as Christians in the church, as good church-going people, you're all here this morning, you're wonderful people. Have you done this? Have you ever looked at someone? Maybe after you leave here, you're in your Sunday best, and you go out, I don't know, maybe you go to, to Chili's or Applebee's or one of those other fine eateries that we have here in Stowe, I don't know. You go out for lunch, and you see someone. You don't say it. You don't even verbalize it. It's not even conscious. I want to be fair to us. We don't even do this, but somehow innately you look at someone, and before you even know what's happened, you judge them. I'm a little better off than that person. Have you ever done that? Have you done that? I have absolutely done that. I've done it. Look at what Romans 9, 30, and 31 tells us. Because what it says is absolutely scandalous. Because we are sometimes living and acting like we deserve God's grace, it's somehow just a teeny tiny little bit, we've earned it. Look at what Romans 9 says, beginning of our passage. What shall we say then? Now, Paul's coming to the end of chapter 9 and chapter 10. He says, hold on a minute, pay attention. That Gentiles, those who were not of the Jewish faith, not of that old covenant people, that those who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, God's people, those old covenant people who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Think about what that says. Those old covenant converts of Christianity are upset because Paul just told them that they are not seeking Christ where he can be found. They're not seeking him by faith, and they're not in it. And yet those who had lived in disobedience, those who had not followed God's laws, they have it. So these Old Testament laws that these Jewish converts thought made them a little more righteous, their morality, the ones who knew about the Messiah, the ones who expected the Messiah, they felt that made a difference they were just a hair, just a little closer to God. And Paul says, no, you're not saved. 
In fact, it's not just that you're not saved. The ones that engage in all kinds of sin and morality and have a checkered past and have done all kinds of things wrong, all kinds of immorality, those are the ones that by faith are saved. And let's make something clear. The Roman culture in the first century, we are not as bad as they were yet. I know that's hard for us to believe, but really, if you go study the history of Roman culture, what they called Second Temple Judaism in the first century, and what the Roman culture that had occupied you know, Israel and Palestine, that, that whole world, when you understand that world and what it was like, the, the Romans, they did some really, really bad stuff. And yet Paul says these folks who had been engaging in that are saved despite those very checkered past, despite what they have done. Those who did not know the promises, did not know God's covenant, they're not resting in their own efforts. They understand and they are saved by faith. And yet these other folks, Paul says, you guys don't get it. You're still trying to prove yourself in your own efforts. You're still trying to prove yourself to God. I'm a good person, they would say. I volunteer. I dress up for worship every Sunday. I don't come looking like I just walked off the street. That's great religion, but it's not what Paul says is Christianity. It's not what Paul says is Christianity. We need to understand the difference. So Paul here, in verses 32 and 33, he says it's not about works, you have to pursue it by faith. He says, they did not pursue it by faith, but based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. A stumbling stone, a rock of offense. What's, what are we stumbling over? What is this that is making us fall down? I think it's this. We like the idea of grace for our lives. In our own lives, we think grace is a wonderful thing. But if we're really honest, we don't necessarily like it so much when it applies to other people. Recently, at my son's wedding again, someone asked me uh, how far we live from where Jeffrey Dahmer was. <laughs> Have you ever gotten that question being from Northeast Ohio? Because they had those movies that have come out, documentaries, maybe you've seen them, and you're like, oh, crap. Now, admit it, how many of you have driven down Bath Road, and when you know where that house is, you speed up a little bit? You lie to me if you say you have not done that. You're lying to the preacher. I passed that house. My cousin used to live right by that house, and every time I see it, I hit the gas a little, just because I know, ah, you know where that house was? You know what I mean? Hmm. But think about that. So if you know anything about Jeffrey Dahmer, and all the horrible things that Jeffrey Dahmer has done. Did you know that Jeffrey Dahmer came to Christ before he died in prison? He confessed Christ, began going to Bible study, studying God's Word, reading Christian books. He was reading C.S. Lewis and other things. They said at the prison he was a completely different person. It kind of freaked out the people that worked at the prison. I like, though, I, I really resonate with what Pastor Max Lucado said. You guys know Max Lucado, the rights? Max Lucado, in his book, In the Grip of Grace, he says this. If we take a look at Jeffrey Dahmer and ask ourselves what disturbs us most about him, the list would go on about his 17 murders. 
11 corpses were found in his apartment. That was in Milwaukee, I'm pretty sure, right? He cut off arms and he ate body parts. Ugh. He redefined the boundary for brutality. No sign of remorse, and his trial didn't show any remorse. No hint of regret. For some, the most disturbing fact would be his conversion. Months before an inmate murdered him, we have been told that Jeffrey Dahmer became a Christian, said he repented, was sorry for what he did, profoundly sorry, said he put his faith in Christ, was baptized, started his life over, began reading Christian books and attending chapel, sins washed, soul cleansed, past forgiven. Do you resonate with what Max Lucado says? That he struggles with his conversion, with his redemption. He shouldn't, I shouldn't, we shouldn't struggle with that. But Max Lucado says he does. The Bible teaches us that our forgiveness in Christ is not based on our own obedience. We've learned this throughout the book of Romans. As we stumble and as we fall down our own brokenness and try to prove ourselves, our righteousness and our forgiveness is not from what we do, but in the goodness and obedience of Christ Jesus. The Father forgives us because of who Christ is and what he has done. I'm not saved by who I am or how perfectly I've obeyed or my morality or how even perfectly I've walked with Christ, but because Christ has chosen me and given himself for me. So God takes me and Christ remembers me in his kingdom. Deep down, if we think about it, this is hard. This is really the scandalous part of what we're talking about. Think about when Christ is on the cross and those two thieves, murderers, we call them thieves, we're not sure what all they did, criminals. They were, you know, crucifixion was not for small-time petty crime. So think about it this way. Christ is on the cross, and he says to the one person crucified next to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Imagine if you're the family of someone that criminal had hurt. Because, you know, sometimes when, even if he was a thief, sometimes people were murdered during that sort of a thing, right? What if they killed someone you love, and yet Christ is up there on the cross, and he says, hey, you're going to be with me in paradise. You see the scandal? Do you see the pain? Does that not, to us, feel like it is unjust? Deep down, if we admit it, maybe we want to prove ourselves, we want to deserve it, we want just a hint more of God's grace because we've not done some of those terrible things. And that, my friends, is what is being described here as the stumbling stone. That's what Paul says, those righteous ones in the church of Rome, like us, may be stumbling over. These obedient converts were upset and angry because they were saying, we've been on top of this. We've done a great job. We haven't done those things. And look what they've done. Jesus, have you looked at that guy's Snapchat story? Do you know what he did last night? If you don't know what Snapchat is, ask somebody else. It's okay. Do you know what I saw them doing yesterday? Wow. And you're saying that just because someone finds new life in you and you grab onto them, just because they 
give their life to you, that all of this can be forgiven and they're made right with God. I would be willing to, I'd, I'm willing to bet that for all of us, whether it's someone in history, someone that's hurt someone we love or hurt us in our own lives, we have a line somewhere that we've drawn where we have the idea that we like grace for ourselves and for certain kinds of people, but not for them. And that limit is far more about us and far less about God and what he says in his word. And that's what makes us stumble. And that's what makes us fall down. It may even make us angry because it reveals to us that it's not about our own actions that we find righteousness. Friends, listen to this. If Christ is the core of our faith, we, we should be okay with this. If we're resting in grace, if we're resting in the power of the cross, we should be okay with this. Okay with this. But if we are resting in our own power, our own righteousness, our own goodness, even just a hint, just a little bit, we don't know him at all. Because there's no other way to pursue him. Now, we're not saying you can do whatever you want and there is no right and wrong, and we're not saying it's okay to hurt people. But yet we are saying that those who have done horrific things can find Christ and be washed in the blood of the Lamb and be made completely new. And if you're stumbling over that, that's okay because it's a hard reality. It can seem unfair to us. It can seem really unfair. And the question for us today, are we standing in Christ and in His righteousness by faith or are we falling down and stumbling in our own efforts. We need to remember as we try to rest in our own righteousness that we don't have any. We're sinners too. We struggle with this reality when others have done horrific things and let's be honest, they're truly horrific things. They're difficult things and we might be tempted to refuse this but God's word and the coming of Messiah has always been about God's act of mercy and redemption. The words here that are quoted as it is written, it says there, Isaiah 28, 16, that is what Paul is referring to. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. That's the stone. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. We know that. We sing about it. We talk about it. And here in the book of Isaiah, God's talking about judgment that's going to come to Israel because they don't have it all together and they think they do. But in Romans, Paul's saying to the Roman church, he's not scolding them. He's trying to change their focus so they'll understand the cross and their own sin and they will stumble no longer. He wants to change their hearts. He wants them to understand the cross and he wants them to understand that's been all of chapter 9 that the sovereign grace in God and the love of God and the mercy of God is for all people. I think we're a lot like the church in Rome. There are those of us that feel we can get together and we're the good Christians and maybe there's the bad Christians who maybe don't get together or the bad people who are a little less than us. Here's a way you can gauge this for you. Here's a way you can understand this. Anybody remember evangelism explosion? Dr. D. James Kennedy taught this. And there were two questions you would do that. If you died tonight, if you died tonight, would you know for sure that you would 
go to heaven, for certain that you'd go to heaven and be with God. And the second question, if you were to stand before God tonight and he would say to you, why should I let you into heaven? How would you respond? How would you answer? How many of us automatically would start with, or how many people in our world, even beyond just those of us here, would start with, well, I try to be a good person and go to church, and I'm certainly better off than them. It's our human nature. We don't see our heart issue as the same as a Roman church because we believe deep down we're just a little bit better. We're good people who do good Jesus things in a good Christian way. It's just what we do. And we, and we believe that God likes us a little more, a hair more than everyone else. Because we don't do what other people do. Those are the bad Christians. Karen shared in her message last week, I heard she did a great job sharing while I was away, and she shared about someone who scolded someone and said they were going to go to hell because they were missing worship. Now let's be honest, in Northeast Ohio, if that happened, in the summer, between now and September, like May and September, we'd all go to hell. Because we want to see the sun, S-U-N. We still need to see the sun, S-O-N. But when you actually see the S-U-N sun, you want to see it because it's not along, around a whole lot here in Cleveland. A, a tropical land filled with uh, beauty and, and warmth, right? So, you know, I understand. But that reminds us, deep down, however obedient we are, it's not enough. The law can never save us. We can't keep it perfectly and what Paul wants us to see is Christ is the end of the law. He's the end of it. He's the end of it. Paul was hurting for those, he knows, his brothers and sisters, who think that they're going to get this all together in their own righteousness. And you know why? Because rule-following, friends, is a miserable way to live. It's a terrible way to live. He's praying for them because Christ has ended this. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't mean the law doesn't apply. It means that Christ has fulfilled. He has complete and he has done. Matthew 5 reminds us, Christ says he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. The law is done. What we need to remember is that we need a Savior. We can't get it done ourselves. We're not going to get it together we do not do what God commands with regularity. If you're like me, you can do it for three or four hundred seconds if no one's around. Then you mess it up. So when any religious or moral authority says, do this and you will be good, we have to look at God's word and say, praise God that Christ did this first because I can't do it. I don't know how you grew up, what kind of home you grew up in, what kind of faith tradition you grew up in. I'm not sure, but knowing that we cannot keep the law should lead us to the foot of the cross. It's not about the do. It's about what Christ has done. That's how we are saved and found righteous before God. So today, I challenge you to do something different. Will you accept and share the truth that Christ is enough? Will you accept that your efforts don't gain you favor with Christ, but it's an act of praise for what he has already done? Will, it let, will you let that drive you to share your faith and to love other people and to know that when that tendency comes up to say, I'm just as bad as you. Not I'm just a little better than you, but will you stop and say, I'm just, in fact, I might be worse off than you today. I might. Some of us need to get off that spiritual treadmill of personal performance and remember that Christ is enough. 
Maybe Christ is leading you today that you need to confess that. Maybe if you are a recovering perfectionist, now everybody else, if you're not a perfectionist, this won't apply to you. Just give us a moment to ruminate on this. If you're one of those people like me that's a recovering perfectionist, this might be the moment where you have to stop and say, I'm doing this to myself. As we prepare to come to God's table as we confess our sins, maybe this is the moment when you say, God, I don't, I don't want to do that. Or maybe this is the moment when you say, God, I've been thinking this way. Even as I wrote out that card, we wrote out cards for people we want to know Christ. Those people we see in our lives, we pass them on the street or at work. Maybe this is applied in that dynamic, in that relationship, and you need to pray for them. Maybe God's laying somebody's name on your heart, and you've got to write it down and pray for them. And you say, God, give me an opportunity to love that person, to recognize that I'm in the same boat they are. Well, we share the truth that Christ is enough. Invite him to church. Invite him to an ABF. I don't know. Invite him to be a part of something. As we close here today, I want to give you a quote from one of my favorite folks in Christianity, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is what he says. The very essence of the Christian faith is to say that he is good enough, God is good enough, and I am in him. As long as you go on thinking about yourself like that and saying, I'm not good enough, oh, I'm not good enough, you are denying God, you are denying the gospel. You are denying the very essence of the faith and you will never be happy. You think you're better at times and then again, you will find you are not good at other times, not as good as you thought you were. You will be up and down forever. How can I put it plainly? It doesn't matter if you have almost entered into the depths of hell. It does not matter if you are guilty of murder as well as every other vile sin. It does not matter from the standpoint of being justified before God at all. You are no more hopeless than the most moral and respectable person in the world. Friends, today as we close in prayer, instead of falling down in our own efforts, Maybe it's time for us to surrender, to fall at the foot of the cross. It's time to rest in the grip of Jesus Christ because he is enough. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to come to your table this day, that you would hold on to our hearts and lives, God, that we would know what it means to belong to you, that we would understand that you indeed love us right where we are. God, that we don't get it together. We never will. But yet, in your grace and in your mercy, you come to us and you tell us, my child, you belong to me. I chose you. You are mine. God, help us when we see others in the world not to have that in that sinfulness, that moment where we say, you know what? I'm just a little better. God, help us to repent of our need to prove ourselves. And instead of being miserable and all the rule following and self-righteousness and self-justification that we tend to do, that we would be sinners saved by grace, that we would be people who love and serve and minister to the broken, the hurting, the lost, the people that think that we're looking down on them. God, that we would come alongside them, that we'd wrap our arms around them, that we'd love them, that we'd invite them in, that we would welcome them to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, to know redemption, to know peace, to know that Christ is enough. Would that be our prayer as we come to this table this day? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, this is a table of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a table of still Presbyterian Church, of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's open to all those who confess Christ alone as Lord and Savior. But we don't want to come to this table in a manner that is unworthy, so would you please join me as we confess our sin together. Almighty God, Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
maker of all things, judge of all. We confess our sins, which we have committed by thought, word, and deed against you. We turn from them in this moment, and we turn back to you. We seek your forgiveness and grace. Just thinking about our sin grieves our heart. Lord, we know it breaks your heart. Have mercy upon us, Heavenly Father. Forgive us and heal our lives. Transform us and use us for your glory. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Friends, today as we've done, we're going to invite you to come up on the sides and we're going to have bread and cup available. And if you don't want to do it that way, if you'd like to have your own, there will be bread and cup here in the middle so you can come up and then go back down the center as we're done here. So on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat of it, all of you. And in the same way, he took and he poured from the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Take and drink of it, all of you. Friends, for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we celebrate Christ Jesus until he comes again. Would those who are serving come forward? Father God, as we come to your table this day, that you would set aside these elements, that your grace would be given to us, that we would be set apart, that we would be made clean in Christ's righteousness, God, that we would be more your people, that we would rest in your grace and mercy, that we would know that you indeed are enough. Lord, use us, fill us, and make us your covenant people again this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, come forward.
Let's pray. Father, as we've come to your table this day, as we prepare to go from this place that even as we're about to sing, that we would glorify you. Lord, that we would lift you up, that we would exalt you above all other things in our lives, that you indeed would rule and reign over our hearts, over our choices, over our actions, over our relationships this week, that you would be Lord of all. God, use us, we pray. In Jesus' name.